It was October 30th, 1938. Many who tuned into Orson Welles' dramatization of the War of the Worlds were entertained. Others were panicked that what they heard coming out of their radio was describing an actual Martian invasion, as they had missed an opening announcement about the program. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. From the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquel and his orchestra. The production began with music, setting up the listener for a normal evening, before urgent news reports broke in. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. I talked with author Tara McClellan McAndrew. She wrote about this moment in broadcast history. So, Tara, why do we remember a radio program that was broadcast more than 80 years ago? It is known for allegedly having panicked America, millions in America, who thought that this was a true news broadcast about Martians invading our country. The newspaper reports that everyone across America or many across America were panicked and frightened have since been contested. It's clear that there were people who were very frightened by this. It seems silly today that people would believe that this was really happening, but there are reasons for why that occurred, and a lot of it was the production value that was put into this program. That's correct. And they had some of the top people um, in radio working on this, both in terms of the sound effects crew and actors and writers. One of the things that made this so realistic, and that was what Wells wanted. He thought that the original script was really pretty dull and boring. So he wanted it to be bumped up in realism. And so some of the things they did to do that were add very realistic sound effects such as shouts and screams, and even down to the sound of the Martians' aircraft opening up. Another thing that made it so real was the use of what appeared to be real news bulletins. Uh, This was a technique that, although others were using it, Orson's theater did an exceptional job of making those bulletins sound very, very real. Wait a minute, something's happening. Hump shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods, the fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles spreading everywhere. You mentioned there were reports that the whole country was in a panic over this. What have you found out? Was that was that overblown, the, uh, the magnitude of the concern that, that this program generated? In retrospect, yes. Many uh, who have studied this have come to believe that that was overblown by the newspaper media. And one of the people who studied this is A. Brad Schwartz. He's the author of Broadcast Hysteria, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and the Art of Fake News. He researched letters that were written to Welles in his theater after the broadcast. And here's what he says about the media um, exaggerating. Over the AP Newswire, there are these scattered 
encourage these isolated instances of panic. Uh, journalists at this point, you know, their print deadline is coming up. They don't have a lot of context. They don't have a sense of how representative this is or what the extenuating circumstances might be. And so what they end up doing is, is connecting dots that should not have been connected. A lot of people may not know this, but Orson Welles is from the Midwest. He was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and he spent quite a bit of time in Illinois. Yes, Orson attended a school called Todd School for the Boys that was in Woodstock, Illinois. And he went there for five years when he was a pretty young young boy. And the headmaster of that school, Roger Hill, became his mentor, his lifelong friend, a collaborator, um, and kind of his unofficial foster father. And I talked to Hill's grandson, Todd Tarbox, who now lives in Colorado. And he talked about how the school really shaped Wells's theatrical abilities. When given a choice, he would select a play that, that uh, would startle rather than not. For some people, something like War of the Worlds, the, the bad publicity that came about, you wrote about the fact there was legislation that was talked about after this to prevent such things from happening. There were threats of lawsuits. It might have wrecked somebody's career. It did not derail Orson Welles. He went on to much bigger and better things, and this may have been the launching pad for that. That's exactly right. Uh, Orson was uh, supposedly said the day after the broadcast that, well, if I had wanted to wreck my career, I certainly did a good job of it or something to that effect. The opposite was true. His radio company, Mercury Theater on Air, received after this broadcast, which allegedly caused panic throughout the country, received a sponsor for the first time, and it was no small sponsor. It was Campbell's Soup. And Hollywood got interested in in, uh, Wells after this. As a result of that interest, Wells was able to go on and direct what many consider his cinematic masterpiece, Citizen Kane, which has gone down in many lists of the best of American cinema. So this ended up propelling Wells's career, which is not at all what he or his company would have expected that night after the broadcast, as they were terror stricken and were accused by the media of having caused the suicide of people, the mass panic of people, et cetera. And in fact, Wells and his theater company had horrible expectations for this show. They thought that it was dull and boring. And the reason it was so good is because they worked so hard at making it more realistic. And one of the ways they did that was, as you mentioned, some of the uh, some of the sound effects that were used. Also, the way that news reporting was was filtered into this program to make it sound like it was a bulletin. It it had that feel of another famous broadcast from that era, the the Hindenburg disaster. In fact, they were quite aware of that when they put this together, from what you've written. Absolutely. The Hindenburg disaster happened only one year before this broadcast. And for those who may not remember, the Hindenburg was an airship made by the Germans, and it was making headlines all over the world because it was flying from Germany, Frankfurt, to America, New Jersey. And when it was landing or mooring at its dock, Um, It famously burst into flames, crashed, and killed, oh, dozens. And there was a WLS radio reporter, Herbert Morrison, who famously 
did an on the scene report broadcast later about watching the Hindenburg fall. And uh, let's listen to it here. And it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between that this is terrible, this is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's like 20, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flames crashing to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. All the humanity and all the fans are just speeding around it. What happened during the production of War of the Worlds broadcast for Wells Theater was that the actor who played the news reporter watching the Martians invade, Frank Reddick, went to the archives in CBS, got out the famous iconic Hindenburg radio broadcast that our WLS reporter in Illinois had done and listened to it over and over and he tried to copy it in tone and pace and emotion for the World of the Worlds broadcast. So 82 years later, what is the lasting legacy of the War of the Worlds broadcast? Excellent question. Um, I am going to let A. Brad Schwartz answer that again. He wrote, Broadcast Hysteria, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and the Art of Fake News. You know, the great fear that this show created among the American public was not that this was a Martian invasion, but that it was a demonstration of how dangerous radio was going to be to democracy. Because it's, you know, the late 1930s, people have seen what's happening in Germany and in other parts of Europe. Um, they're terribly afraid that we could have an American dictator, uh, someone who manipulates the radio the way they understood Hitler to have done in Germany. Um, to rise to, you know, to a position of power in this country. And hearing the story that, you know, any number of people believe the show to be true and, and, and acted irrationally confirmed that fear in their mind. And so that ends up being what motivates a lot of the, the response to the show, both in the letters that were written and in a lot of the newspaper commentary. Of course, everyone has a different opinion about what the lesson is or was still today from the iconic War of the Worlds broadcast. I like to think that one of the lessons is the potential of broadcast to make us think, to make us imagine. So that I think is one of the reasons that this is still such an amazing broadcast because it did such a good job of making the unbelievable believable. You can read more about the War of the Worlds broadcast. Tara McClellan McAndrew's story can be found at our website, statewideshow.com.